And so we're following this series, Follow My Leader, studies in John's Gospel. And uh, we've come this morning to the third one, uh, which is uh, Follow My Leader, to learn about worship. And specifically this morning, the key verse we're going to be looking at is verse 24. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. This is one of our three key verses of the year. And that is true, you know, we come to worship God, we, we come to worship in spirit and in truth. It's about what happens in here. It's not how loud we raise our voices to sing the songs, it's not how much we wave our arms about, it's about what happens in our hearts. If we want to be true worshippers, we worship in spirit and in truth. Now, I'm not going to split out those two words, spirit and truth, because I believe spirit worship is true worship, and true worship is spirit worship. Those two are synonymous. You can't separate them out. Just before we get on to that, just a little bit of background to put into context where this reading comes. Jesus was going from Judea to Galilee. Now, if you can see that plan, it wasn't the easiest one I, I could design, but Judea's right at the bottom of the map, Galilee's right at the top of the map, and standing between is Samaria. The shortest distance between those two points was to go through Samaria. But the Jews had many issues with the Samaritans. You can read in 2 Kings 17 that this stemmed from uh, way back when the king of Assyria took the people of Israel, that northern kingdom, captive and colonized it with various other nations who didn't worship God. And from that time, there was enemies be as enmity between people who saw themselves as the people of God and those that they perceived were not the people of God. They wouldn't talk to them. They wouldn't drink out of a cup that a Samaritan had drunk from, and as far as possible, they would not even enter their land, but go by around by a long route. You see, the average Jew would not go from Judea to Galilee through Samaria, but would go the long way round that sort of right, yeah, right-hand side of the map there to get to do a long way round. If you want to put uh, some sort of comparison by today's standards, imagine you were going from here, Norwich in Norfolk, down to Chelmsford in Essex, but you weren't going to go through Suffolk. Now, why you wouldn't want to go through the lovely county of my birth, I don't know. But you look up on the map and you'll get some idea of the sort of detour Jews were prepared to do to avoid going through Samaritan country. But Jesus had no issues. Jesus didn't see Samaritans as enemies. Rather, he saw them as people needing his message of love and salvation. And he speaks of them on a number of occasions. He speaks of the good Samaritan, that, that one who stopped to treat the man who'd been mugged by the side of the road when others that should have stopped and helped him didn't. 
he spoke about the ten lepers that he healed and, and only one that came back and said thank you and that was the Samaritan. And now he needs to go on this journey and the shortest route is through Samaria and uh, he's going to go that way. And just where those couple of triangles down, you may not see them, just down the sort of lowest triangle within the Samaria bit, that's where Psyche was. And he's going to meet this woman who it would seem, should we say, as of some notoriety. You know, with all due respect to anyone here this morning that's been married five times, uh, that's not something that's common. It certainly wasn't in Jesus' day. Now, we may not know the, the full background of that situation. There may have been more to it. I don't know. But this was some woman that it seems no one was touching. And yet she was one that still had some knowledge of the scriptures. She knew about worshipping on the mountain, worshipping in Jerusalem. She knew that the Messiah, the promised Messiah, would come one day. She knew something. And so, God has to go with her. It was about the sixth hour, uh, in verse 6, which by today's standards is midday. Not a time when most people would go, be going out to get water. What was that old song of an old coward, mad dogs and Englishmen go out in the midday sun? And yet she was there because basically she didn't want to run the gauntlet of all her neighbours who didn't like her lifestyle. But I wonder if you can imagine her surprise because there in the middle of the day when she chose because she thought no one else would be at the well, there was a man there, which was unusual in itself because collecting water was women's work in those days. So you wouldn't have expected to see a man there any time. Even more, she realized he was a Jew and he spoke to her. And even more, he asked her for a drink of water. Now, I haven't got time really to look at the conversation that goes on about the natural water, that that most basic life-preserving water that she was talking about and the life-changing spiritual water that Jesus was talking about. And yet, of course, the truth comes out as Jesus asked her to go and get her husband. And suddenly, a slightly confident woman, I guess, blushed considerably. And what it seems to me is in an attempt to sort of change the direction of the conversation, she talks about whether they should worship here or whether they should worship in Jerusalem. Let's get him onto a let's get onto a theological point where we can discuss to our heart's content and we'll be all be happy. But Jesus says, No, it's not about where you worship, it's about how you worship. God's worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. So what is worship? Let's go right back to basics. I looked the word up in a number of dictionaries, some of which were more helpful than others, some which just put words that you probably would have guessed would have been there in the first place. But one did come out, a word that 
maybe seemed a bit old-fashioned to me, but it talked about reverence. You see, we can't come this morning to worship a God who's just a little bit better than we are. We come to worship a God who is holy, who is awesome in the original meaning of that word. And we need to come in reverence before him, acknowledging the great God that he is. And yet you see that great God, because of his great love, delights for us to spend time with him. Someone else once said that when we worship God, we express his worthship. You may have many things at home that are worth something to you. Whether that's in monetary terms or in sentimental terms. And you know, we can do a lot, we, we like that. We often like to talk about the things we've got. And yet, the greatest thing we can ever have is the assurance that God has taken away our sin. And one day, we will be with Him in heaven. And you know, that gift, on the one hand, is priceless. It's worth more than anything to us. And yet, on the other hand, that gift is free. You don't have to pay for it. It's free if you come and ask. So I want to come and look at some issues surrounding worship to see what we can learn. The first word, again, might seem a bit old-fashioned, but I want to talk about preparation. say it may seem old-fashioned maybe it seem i'm coming up with old-fashioned ideas but then you know when we had that count i did have to tear the top box which i've had to do for the last year or three and so maybe that's where i'm coming from but you know this morning you will have expected me to come here having spent some time some considerable time preparing before god what i am saying I was going to say Chris would have done, but we know where he is. But Steve didn't get a lot of chance for that. But in a sense, I'll say this for Steve. Obviously, deep down, you were prepared to be used of God whenever God called. So he was prepared. Our musicians will have taken time preparing and choosing songs and in practicing as we come to prepare to worship God. I want to ask the question, I ask that of myself, as sometimes I sit down there as well, I wonder what preparation you've done this morning in coming to worship God. Have you spent time in prayer? You know, I'm old enough to remember when most people taking their seats in a church would bow their heads in a short prayer, asking God, to bless them in their time of worship. wonder how often we do that now. How do we come quietly? I know of a church there where I used to go and preach, a United Reformed Church, um, 
down near Sudbury where I lived, um, uh, they, they sort of had this formality that um, we used to go out and pray. I used to go out and pray with the elders before the service. Uh, and about five minutes before the service started, there was a communion table in the middle and there was a big Bible that sat on that. And about five minutes before, one of the elders would come and open the Bible on the table. And that was a sign for people in the congregation to go to their seats, to sit down and be quiet and carefully pray for the service was coming. And I had to say in a way, that was great because as soon as you got in the pulpit, everybody was ready and waiting to start in worship. Whereas in my own church back where I came from, you sort of almost had to shout at the top of your voice to call everyone to order to get the service started. Now, I know we want to talk to lots of people. I know we want to pe- meet people. And maybe we are from a different age. But, you know, I can't help thinking that if we don't prepare in any way, that we're losing something. You know, who is the most important person that we come to meet this morning? Surely that is Jesus. You know, we don't just stumble into true worship. We don't just come, as it were, you know, carrying on with everything else under life without actually preparing to come to where God wants us to be. We need to be ready to meet with God. Moving on now, if you talk about worship, of course, many will think about sung worship. Many will think about worship styles. Some of you will know the name of a man called Cliff Barrows. Cliff Barrows was worship leader, if you want. He probably wasn't called that in those days, for Billy Graham. When Billy Graham did his great crusades, he would go and lead the first part of the service and he also conducted the choir. And one day, Cliff was asked what music meant to him. And Cliff replied with those words on the screen. Music was given that people might better praise God. That was what music meant most to him. You know, I enjoy playing different types of music. Various ones can be fun and entertaining, enjoyable. And yet somehow playing to the glory of God, playing to worship and praise him, takes us to a completely different dimension. There's something special about that. What about the styles of worship? Do we like our traditional hymns or our new hymns? You may not be able to make that out, but on the left is the traditional hymn, The Lord's My Shepherd, the tune Crimmond, and on the right is the version by Stuart Townend with the chorus, I Will Trust in You. Do we like the traditional hymns or the modern songs? And some people have very fixed opinions on that. You know, when anyone asks me that, I always say this, we should use the best of the old and the best of the new. I believe some of the great hymns really inspire me in worship. Sometimes in a way that modern songs don't seem to do. They seem to touch a spot within my heart that those don't. 
Others are perhaps past their sell-by date. And sometimes it might be an old, old style of music, but sometimes it's simply that because our English language has evolved, the words uh, that were written by the hymn writer however many years ago don't quite mean the same in today's language. I enjoy many of the new songs. Others less so. Some are great. Some I look and think, I don't like that song. It's repetitive. It hasn't got a melody. It's got some horrible chords. And you know, whilst the words say some good things, I can think of at least a dozen other songs that express that meaning far better. But I do retain counsel on which ones those are because that might be somebody's favourite. You know, that's another thing as well when we come to worship, whether we like the worship or whether we like the songs or don't. We have the respect that others may like something different. I went to a worship seminar 10, 15 years ago down what's now called London Theological Seminary, what used to, you may have known from old as the London Bible College. And we had four speakers there, um, Graham Kendrick was one, Joel Edwards, who was the uh, General Secretary of Evangelical Alliance at one time. There was a minister from some very modern church in Tottenham, and there was a man from who was described as the Professor of Liturgy at a college in Birmingham, I think it was. And I thought, seeing these details before I went, I thought, oh, have they just brought him in to sort of balance things up a bit. Has it, you know, he sounds a bundle of laughs. You know, I take it all back because I would have to say arguably that he was the pick of the speakers that day. And he told this one story, picking on Graham Kendrick slightly because he was there. But he said, I want you to imagine this situation in the church. You're in a church and someone at the front says, we're going to sing Graham Kendrick's song, The Servant King. You've got part of the congregation muttering themselves, why can't we sing a proper hymn? You've got another part muttering, why can't we sing something that's newer than 40 years old? But just imagine, there was one man there. He said, you know, I don't particularly like that song, but I know that Frida does. And I know that she will be blessed because we've sung that this morning. And so for her sake, I'm glad we're singing it. And you know, one of the responsibilities of leading worship is to try and help all of the congregation to worship, not just those that are of the same mindset as ourselves. I hope we're going to appreciate each other. And even if we don't like a particular song, appreciate there are others that will. Apart from differences in sung worship, there are, of course, other styles. Some like traditional set services. I sometimes go to the church in Loddon where they have a very traditional Anglican service. I, I, Fifteen or so years ago, I'd have probably said, well, that's pretty meaningless. doesn't mean anything to them. And yet I've had to learn that God can still work through that. And I'm blessed sometimes by going there. Some like quiet. 
had a lady, who occasionally come to our last church. She was actually from a Quaker background. Her and her husband came to the church quite late on in their lives. And her husband died, and it was a retired minister who went to see her about the funeral service. While they were talking, she said, you know, I, I like your church. Everyone's so welcoming. I, I like the music. But, you know, the only trouble is you seem to have to fill every spare minute either with someone saying something or someone singing something. You've never got time just to be quiet. And sometimes we do just need to be quiet before God so that we can clearly listen to what he's saying to us. And if some of those styles of service you say are not for me, can I just say this? You know, I find that going to a different style of service can actually help you appreciate the style of service I'm more used to. But you see, worship styles don't themselves bring us to true worship. Lines from a song that we sung, I'll bring you more than a song, for a song in itself is not what you require. You search much deeper within, through the way things appear. You're looking into my heart. That's where God's looking, right into our hearts. And I'm coming back to the heart of worship. It's all about you. True worship isn't going through the motions of singing, praying, and listening to a message. It's something that affects us inwardly. The woman at the well had a one-to-one worship experience with Jesus. That was what it was. There was no worship band. There was no pipe organ. Not even an angel playing a harp. And yet that meeting was life-changing. Do you see the difference it made? This lady had been creeping around, trying desperately to avoid her neighbours. And yet what did she do after meeting Jesus? She's going out, knocking on their doors, saying, come and meet Jesus. I believe this man is the Messiah. Come and meet him. How will we go out from this place this morning? Will we feel like that we've done our penance for the week by coming to worship? Will we feel we've, if I dare say this, been entertained? We've had our hearts just a bit warm and it's changed our life just for an hour. Or will we go out eager to serve the Lord? In the church in Loddon, there's a sign on the front door, on the inside of the front door, uh, which is designed for you to see as you go out. And it says this, our service is over, our mission begins. I think Rob was telling me when you were over at size, well, you were doing something this time tomorrow. I'm not going to ask you what you're going to be doing this time tomorrow, but I'm going to be asking you this. Do you know roughly where you will be tomorrow? How is what you've done this morning going to impact on what you're doing 
this time tomorrow. If we're worshipping God in spirit and truth, then we will be ready to follow Jesus wherever he leads during this coming week and the weeks to come. Our service is almost over. Our mission is about to begin. May we be ready to go out and serve God in these weeks.